first book of Kings. And right at the end, chapter 19, I want to take a few verses from, and then at the beginning of two Kings. We've been, uh, chapter 19, verse 19, I'm going to start reading from in a minute. We've been looking at the whole subject of God's presence. Um, And uh, for some weeks now, or is it months, remember, we looked at what it was that Adam lost. We looked at what it was that Enoch found when he walked with God. We looked at Moses on the mountain when God revealed himself. We looked at Moses in the tent of meeting when the cloud came down and he was aware of God there. And all the people stood at their tent, remember, and bowed and worshipped. And that whole sense of worship we saw with David bringing in the ark and dancing for joy before the Lord. And Solomon, again, worship and organizing for the musicians and just for God's honor to be evident and, and, and emphasized. And then we saw, last time we were looking at this whole theme, about Elijah alone with God, knowing God's presence on his own. And I, I, I do trust that the presence of God and the reality of God, is, is re- you recognize it as indispensable and a very, very high priority that I don't just skirt around the edges and hear everybody else talking about how God was real to me, that I have to know God for myself. I can know God for myself. There are seasons when his presence seems farther away than at other seasons. But we do, as, as his people, need to have seasons of refreshing when we know God's presence personally real to us. I do hope that over the weeks, don't miss the point, this is not just kind of entertainment. I was, uh, I was, there I was, minding my own business, and somebody came up to me yesterday afternoon with this on, and said, David, you must preach on it, with it, with it on your head. And I thought, well, you look so surprised. <laughs> right? I'm not an entertainer. This, this is not the purpose of why I stand up here. It, do you like it? <clears throat> we lost... <clears throat> Well, they did have Michael Jones playing for them, so it can hardly be surprising, can it? Um, it's actually to make a difference in my life. Just take a moment, just quietly. Just pray a moment. Lord, we don't want to come to the end of the year and to the end of a whole series only presence without changing individually. Lord, help me to know your presence. Help me to want to know your presence for myself. For Jesus' sake. I want um, this morning for us to look at the incident with Elijah and Elisha being called as a prophet. You'll find it in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19, and then over into 2 Kings. 1 Kings 19, 19. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, whoever he was, apart from Elisha's dad. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him, And Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said. And then I'll come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? 
So Elijah left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. 2 Kings chapter 2. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, but don't speak of it. Then Elisha, Elijah said to them, Stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. And the company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, but don't speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men of the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And when they'd crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Elisha replied. You've asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise not. As they were walking along and talking together, I wonder what they were talking about. Wouldn't you like to eavesdrop? As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. And Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them apart. He picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? He asked. And when he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. I, I want to think, it's quite obvious, I suppose, from the passage that I'm reading. I want to think about the, the, the importance of the Holy Spirit for us and his power in our lives. You know, everything that's, every revelation that we have, every time I read the Bible and something speaks to me, it's the Spirit of God. Every time I'm aware of his presence, it's the Spirit of God. Every time I encounter him and Jesus is new to me again, or I know the Father's love, it's the Spirit of God working in my life. Every time I know his healing, every time I know deliverance, every time I know cleansing, it's the Spirit of God working in me. 
every time that I would experience nothing of God if he hadn't sent and wasn't working by his spirit in my life. And it's this whole issue of what the Bible calls the anointing that I want us to consider. And stress is absolute importance. Jesus it was who was anointed. Remember when he was in Nazareth and the scroll was opened and read from Isaiah 61. And Jesus used these words, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. When Peter was praying in Acts 4 after Pentecost, he talked to Jesus and said, Your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. When he was preaching, Acts chapter 10, he spoke of how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. As uh, the writer to the Hebrews, who talking of the Lord Jesus said this, Hebrews 1.9, You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. And we recognize in Jesus' ministry, there was a, a unique anointing. He, he was anointed beyond his brothers. There, were, there, there, there was a presence of the dynamic power of God, of the Spirit of God, in all the ministry of the Lord Jesus. It was what made him distinctive. And there's no greater need, is there? And the lovely thing is that the Scripture talks about us as similarly being anointed. 2, 2 Corinthians read it quite recently, one twenty-one. He anointed us. Oh, can I, can I personalize it? He anointed you. Set his seal of ownership on you. And put his spirit in your heart as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Writing to, what, to John, John writing in his first letter, chapter 2, verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. The anointing you receive from him remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you. But as, he anoint, as his anointing teaches you in all things, and as, as that anointing is real, not counterfeit. So he goes on. There, there is an anointing on your life. The Spirit of God, or you could never have been born again in the first place. There's an anointing on your life. Now, it's, no, it's, that's not a static thing. And the anointing of God on the life of the individual is something that can be minimal or major. It, it can affect my life in a marginal way, or it can affect my life in a major way. Now, the, the, the whole issue of this Elijah-Elisha incident was a man crying that there might be significant anointing on his life. Let's look at the incident first. Chapter 19. Elijah, El, El, I'm going to get him mixed up. So if I, if I mix up, just smile at me. Don't correct me because I'll, I'll, I'll get even more confused. Elisha is plowing. He's not praying. He's not reading. He's not sacrificing. I'm so grateful that God deals with me when I'm plowing. He's a God who approaches people when they're plowing. Oh, well, this Holy Spirit thing is really good. And I'll be holy enough one day. We have that in our heads so often. 
I don't really qualify because I'm plowing. Nah, Elisha was plowing. What made it even more difficult to bless him was he was a relatively wealthy man, a self-sufficient man, um, a, a man who had 12 yoke of oxen. And it says that he was the, that there were 12 yoke of oxen and he had the 12th, was that he, he was behind watching all the servants in front of him. So he had at least 11 servants and 24 oxen and 12 plows. So this was a man of some substance and presumably the land as well. And uh, the Elijah comes up to him suddenly, unexpectedly, and calls him. Isn't that just like the Lord? That God doesn't always give us long notice of intent. That so often, when, that, uh, it was like that with the disciples, wasn't it? There they were, minding their own business, fishing by the sea, and he comes and says, come and follow me. Now, I know that there were some incidents which may have led up. They may have been aware of Jesus. But the call of Jesus, the challenge of him on our lives, is, is always strangely immediate, isn't it? That uh, it's not something we think about. Saying, well, maybe I will. Okay, Jesus, what do you want to tell us? No, he doesn't do that. He, he, he comes directly to us, as Elijah did. And threw his cloak over. Or put his, how do, what does it say? The, the phrase now there. Um, that it threw, threw his cloak around him. No, I'm sure he did it in the most gentlemanly of way. But uh, putting his cloak or putting his mantle on this man was very significant. That, uh, that, that this mantle, a sign of the prophetic call, sign of the, the, the symbol of the call of God on Elisha's life. Um, and uh, in, in the Greek translation, it's translated as a sheepskin. And, and, and uh, partly because of that, the, the, the rough clothing of the prophet was, sim, sim, was a symbol of him. John, Matthew 3, John the Baptist's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. The, the roughness of the prophet, it, it, it was not a good time. If he'd gone and consulted with his family, well, shall, what do you think about a career in prophecy, everybody? You know, the, the, the answer would probably be, you know, don't touch it with a barge pole. People, generally speaking, don't like you, Elisha, if you take up that call. It's a bit like being a traffic warden. You know, don't do it. Stay away. But the call of God on this man was immediate. Called him to follow him. And Elisha's understanding was immediate. He knew exactly what Elijah was doing. I do believe that God, we do know when God is challenging us. We try to confuse it. We try to, you know, kind of, oh, we try to th throw a smoke screen around it, but we do know when God is dealing with us, when he's speaking to us. We may fight it hard. And Elisha certainly knew what it was all about. And, and the, in, in the narrative that we're looking at, there are actually four tests that, uh, that Eli Elisha has to face. And this is the first one of them. It's the whole test on his life, with the whole mantle and God's calling on his life in view, whether he's going to... Whether he's going to follow or not. Whether he's going to leave his home. And uh, the, 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 the parables, the incidents in the life of Jesus, very similar. Remember Jesus went up to the disciple and, and called him to follow him and said, first let me go home and bury my father. You know, just any old excuse will do. And particularly home, tying me down so that I feel obligation. I, I've really got to be here. If I don't drive the twelfth load of oxen, you know, the whole thing is not going to work. I, I feel obligated to these people. What about these poor servants? They so need me. And we make a whole catalogue of excuses 
Why we're not going to do what God clearly tells us to do, don't we? Go on, nod like a donkey. It's true. Thank you, Scott. What honest man. And what did the man do in, in this first important test in his life? He went home. He didn't go home just to settle. He went home and he killed the ox. And he, he, he made a nice big fire out of his yard. He burned his bridges. And he said, yes, Lord. No more. My, my, he just abandoned all of his security and all that he, he, he felt comfortable in and all that paid him very well. He left it alone and he followed and he went with Elijah. That was the first test. And the Spirit of God does require obedience. Acts chapter 5 verse 32 we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whose God has given to those who obey Him. It's a necessary quality in the life of the disciple. And uh, there then followed these the, the chapters that you just fumble through, trying to find two, two Kings chapter two, and uh, you know that that proves that there were many years. Probably he was an apprentice. He was a learner. He. he he was the assistant, the accompanier of, of Elijah in his ministry. Um, a disciple, if you like. There was a discipling process going on. It's a very important process. We need to be discipled. Look at the nice little advert in your diary and you'll know exactly why I say it. And then at the beginning of 2 Kings 2... Um, Elijah says he's going on a tour of the, of the schools. Now, Elijah clearly had schools of the prophets. He was the senior prophet, and he was teaching others. And there were schools of the prophets in Bethel, and uh, Jericho, was it, and other places too. And uh, so that he, he's going on a tour of the schools. And uh, he go, goes off. And there's this, this remarkable sequence of uh, when he's on the tour. Because clearly what had happened was, that God at some point had spoken to Elisha so that he knew what was on offer. And God had spoken to the prophets in Bethel, in, in Jericho, and down by the... There, there were all these small pockets, these schools of the prophets, and they all knew. Isn't it amazing? God does sometimes trumpet what's going on. And they all knew. Maybe it was in order to soften the blow of Elijah's passing. But they, they all knew that this was Elijah, Elijah's last day. They all knew the score. And, and, and Elijah knew the score, but he clearly didn't know that everybody else knew. So the Lord is having a smile to himself over this. And uh, he, was, he was constantly trying to Elisha, you know, well, I, I'm going to go to Bethel. You say that, I'm going to Bethel. Oh, no, you're not. I'm coming with you. So Elisha knew what was on offer. Elijah didn't know that he knew. Now, maybe Elijah was thinking, well, I'm going up to be with the Lord. And, you know, he's embarrassed. What a privilege. He, he, and sometimes the most intimate things that God does with us, we don't really want an audience, do we? Do you ever embarrassed by that? It's awkward sometimes, isn't it? You think they'll scoff. I don't know whether that was the reason or whether he was just wanting to test Elisha to see what his metal was. Um, but who, who knows? But he certainly tries to shake him off. And this is the second test, isn't it? that Elisha had to maintain a certain persistence. If I'm going to follow the Lord Jesus, if I am going to know this mantle, this anointing, I am, there's going to have to be a certain doggedness about me. Because it's easy to be put off, isn't it? 
It, it would have been quite natural. Here was Elisha, who was one of the prophets, and there was, oh, and Elijah, the boss man, says, right, Elisha, stay there, I'm going here. It, that he, it would have been quite natural for him to stay there and not to go, but there, there was a determination in the man. And it isn't all slog. But if I'm going to follow the Lord with integrity, there's going to need to be some slog, isn't there? There's going to have to be this element of persistence in my life. Sometimes I give up so easily, particularly in the whole prayer thing, and particularly in the things of the Spirit. It doesn't happen in the day I want it, or in the week I want it, or in the month. And so I stop praying. God, forgive me. We all do it, don't we? Don't we? Well, I'll come back to that, because you're nodding. And in the call in your life, in, your, in our following of the Lord Jesus, there are these choices, two tests he made. He had to, two tests on his life. First of all, the mantle was offered to him, and he said, yes, Elijah. Jesus is offering similarly a mantle on your life, a purpose of God for your life. And the first test is whether I say wholeheartedly, yes, Lord, I, 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 want, I want to be discipled by you, I want to be effective in your service. I want to be one who is, has the mantle on my life. But once we say that, there's the follow-through, isn't there? Now, I don't think it matters. You think, well, this is very good for the young people. I hope they're all listening. This is wonderful for them. You know, I, I, I'm, old, I'm old and grey and, 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 and odd now, and it's not really for me. Um, it's for them. No, it's not. It's for all of us. Uh, it's for all of us. It's even for Jeff Chamberlain. Uh, fancy, uh, he was over there, not over here. That's why I picked him up. It's even for Jeff Chamberlain. It's excellent, isn't it? <coughs> a, a persistence. To, and Steve. I'm honest, Steve. God, glad you came. It, it's. Are you? <laughs> it, it's, it's very important and very personal for us. That this choice to press on with my Lord Jesus, it doesn't matter whether I'm going to be in heaven with him next year or not. For today, I have to press through and do the things that I know to be right and not to make the excuses that so often make my life, Christian life, mediocre. But then he's, he has these years as an apprentice. And this man is seeing God do remarkable things with Elijah. Wouldn't you like to be discipled by Elijah? The things we learn, perhaps you wouldn't. Yeah, quite right. <laughs> the things we learn best, we learn by seeing other people do them. And I know in my life, there have been men who were farther down the road than I am, a lot farther down the road, and I've watched their life. Sometimes we sat down and talked to them about certain aspects of how they've done it. And it, I, I've been decided, the whole modeling process was very important to Elisha. And he, he longed to know the reality, the, the authenticity of a powerfully godly life. I know that there's a load of fooey. I know there are people that make ridiculous claims. I know that there's all these great fanfares of spiritual power, and then you go there and you come and think, well, what, you know, was that God really? I've been there, I understand. And yet there are other occasions 
when the authority is absolutely unmistakable. And in my heart, I say, oh, Lord. And this is the third test, really. In verse 9, Elijah asks the million-dollar question. What do you want? In some ways, it was a bit of a daft question. Because what did he have? It wasn't as if he was driving in his limo, was it? And he wanted to throw him the keys. Not quite. All he had was a hairy coat and a few schools that he'd started and, they, uh, and this, uh, this mantle that, met, that facilitated a miraculous ministry. And Elisha didn't need, didn't need to be asked twice. He said, I want a double portion of what you've got. Now, I've always thought that, that this meant that Elisha wanted to be twice as powerful as Elijah. Wrong. I, I thought, well, you know, Elijah's got it, but you know, a kind of spiritual power game. You know, it's a make me a double, double whammy or, or a you know, doubly zappy. You know what I mean? Like, make me really, really powerful. You're okay, Elijah, but make me more powerful. I have a horrible feeling that something of that is so often in what we understand spirituality to be. It's certainly been paraded that way rather a lot by certain terribly powerful Christians as if they, they have a, twice as much as you. Now, if I can correct the heresy, the error, that what uh, Elijah is talk, Elisha is talking about here is, is a double inheritance. It's taken from Deuteronomy 21.17. The same phrase is used. That they're talking about a father making his will says he must acknowledge the son of his unloved wife as the firstborn by giving him a double share of all he has. Now, the, 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 the provision for the firstborn, like, in our house, it would mean, and everybody would be happy about this, that Ruth would have twice as much as Andrew and Joy put together. Oh no, Ruth would have twice as much as Andrew. It's perfectly fair, it's perfectly appropriate, I'm sure you'll all agree. Andrew included, because it, it was the responsibility of the eldest to carry on the work and the name. And therefore, the firstborn had a double portion. Everybody else had a portion, but the firstborn had twice as much because of the responsibility to carry on the work and to carry on the name. And what Elisha was asking was, Elijah, privilege me with being your son. He calls him my father, my father, doesn't he? I, I want to be your son, and I want to carry on what you've done. He wasn't asking to be twice as powerful. He, he was asking for the privilege to walk in his footsteps. And it, it's a cry to God, oh God, give me what this man has. That's what he means by giving me a double spirit, double portion of your spirit. I know that there's, uh, my wife has on occasion, sorry to bring everybody in on the domestic scene this morning, but <clears throat> this kind of strange family preoccupation with graveyards when we're on holiday, but... <clears throat> Uh, 
there have been many, many occasions when um, you're in a place where God has worked. I was in Cornwall last week. A couple of times on, when I've been in Cornwall, I've been, been and had a look where Billy Bray exercised his ministry and kind of walked around Billy, I danced around Billy Bray's grave just to kind of see if it would rub off. And the cry that's in my heart is, oh God, don't let me be mediocre. I remember us very early on in, in, um, going to John Wesley's grave in, in, in City Road in London. And across the road, there's where John Bunyan is buried. And John Owen. And a whole load of the Puritans. And Oh, Lord, give me a double portion of that spirit. We were on holiday in West Wales. And you, I went to where Daniel Rowlands exercised his ministry. Quite extraordinary. About one in ten in Wales were influenced for the gospel largely through one man in a small rural church. And you stand by the grave. It's not... I, I'm not an antiquarian. It's dear Lord, please don't let me be, give me a double portion of his spirit. I believe it. It's a right cry. It's something that, ought, that God wants to find in all of our hearts. Lord, make me a successor. Because what they did in their day won't do for our day. God, I want to be a successor. And what about your generation, whichever generation you, re you belong to? Is there this cry in your heart, give me a double portion of your spirit. Make me a son and an heir. Ma make me a successor, dear Lord. A successor to influence in our day, not a successor to mediocrity. God, make me a successor. And then straight away afterwards, there was the whirlwind. All of your visuals in your children's Bibles are all wrong. Elijah did not go to heaven in a chariot. He did not. The chariot came between Elijah and Elijah. Elijah went to heaven in a whirlwind. So that all of your little ideas, if you, you don't believe me, it's there in the text, you read it very carefully, it says twice that Elijah went to heaven in a whirlwind. He did not go to heaven in a chariot. Now the problem with saying that is you're not going to remember anything I've said all morning. All I'm going to get over the dinner table is, was it a chariot or was it a whirlwind? But I say it just for biblical accuracy. There is a sense in which the request that Elijah had for it to give Elisha the double portion was something that Elijah couldn't give. Only God can give that. John 3.34, for the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God and God gives the spirit without limit. But maybe he was thinking, well, I can't promise that, but I'll give God the opportunity, because so if God doesn't want to, him to see me going up in my whirlwind, <laughs> um, well, then he won't, he, it, that's in God's hands, not in my hands. I don't know quite why he arranged it like that. Elisha tears his clothing out of mourning or to break with the past, and then gets back to the Jordan. This is test four. This is crunch time. 
Now, the text is quite interesting. It's a long time since I could have read this in the Hebrew. But uh, the, the, the text is a bit complicated. And in the Greek translation of the Hebrew, what it says is, he smote the water and nothing happened. And he smote it again. Actually, if you read it in, in the English text, that, well, let, let's read it together. You'll see what I mean. Verse 14. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it. And then he said, where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Implying the first time he hit the water, nothing happened. He struck the water and then, where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he struck the water, that's, that's been anglicized to, to smooth it in. It actually, he struck the water, and then he said, where is the God of Elijah? And then he struck the water. I don't want to make too much of it. But the, the, the issue, if, if actually the, 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 the Greek translation is true, of, of what occurred here, he, he, he took the mantle, and he, 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 was he in his own strength? But he went and hit the water. And it just went splash. And so he said, where is the God of Elijah? That's the cry. In the whole question of authenticity and credibility, that's the cry. That's what I need in my life. Maybe I'm just preaching for myself here this morning. But the, to, to just turn the cogs over, it does not satisfy the heart, of the, uh, the heart of the believer. Where is the God of Elijah? And then he did it again. And the waters parted. And the prophets that have been kind of looking on, peeping a view from the other side, you know, all bowed down and called him Lord, impressed the God of Elijah was with Elisha. He'd proved God for himself. And Elijah's God is the same today. As I started to sing, I actually started to sing this to Liz yesterday when I was preparing, and she said something about it not quite sound, sounding quite the same as it used to do. Elijah made a sacrifice to offer to Jehovah. It had been wet with water thrice. Baal's sacrifice was over. Elijah prayed, the fire came down and licked the water all around. So doubting ones believed and found Elijah's God was living. Elijah's God still lives today. An answer still by fire. My friend, just let him have his way. He'll grant your heart's desire. Consume the sacrifice you make and bid your slumbering soul awake. The chains of inbred sin will break. Elijah's God is living. Elijah's God still lives today and answers still in power. And when Elijah prayed for rain, he answered with a shower. If you would have your soul refreshed with rains that fall from heaven, you must pray through like all the rest. It's quite good, isn't it? You must pray through like all the rest and showers will be given. Elijah's God still lives today to take the guilt of sin away. And when I pray my heart's desire upon my soul, he sends the fire. God is still the same. I just happened to be reading this week. I was going to preach on this from, from weeks past. Uh, that, that this, this text and this issue, God laid very strongly on my heart. And I happened to be reading um, a book called The Great Preachers of Wales, if you, if you believe it. And I, <clears throat> I was reading a biography of this man, Daniel Rowlands van Gaithel. And uh, that to, for, for one man, one preacher, to affect his generation like he did was extraordinary. You, you really ought to read it. Ivan Evans has just written a book on the man. It's an excellent book to read. It's just out in paperback. But at the end of the biography, he said this. 
There is nothing to prevent the same powerful effects in our own day but ourselves. God is exactly the same. His love and mercy look upon a lost world with a sweeter smile now as they did in the times of Whitfield and Rowlands. The Spirit of God is as full of power as in the time of Elijah, John the Baptist and the Apostles, and is as willing to come down from heaven upon us as upon them. We hear the people often asking, where is the God of Elijah? The question, however, is easily answered. The God of Elijah is where he was before and as he was before. That is not the question now, more than it was of yore. But where is Elijah? Let Elijah be at his work. Let Elijah concentrate all his powers upon his duties. We need not be, more, we need not be very anxious about the Lord God of Elijah. That spoke to me. It isn't a question of why isn't God doing anything. It's why is there not a steadfastness in my soul to seek the double portion and to prove for myself the God of Elijah. I can't blame you. I might try to. I might kind of point out your shortcomings in order to make mine feel not quite as bad. But the bottom line is here, isn't it? It's in me. That Elijah's God is just the same. The problem is not with him. So let me ask you this morning. Is God real to you? Is your past sorted? Is your sin forgiven? That's the first thing. Have you, has Jesus, have you responded affirmatively to Jesus' call on your life? When, when, when he invites you to follow him and to, and to come into your life, have you burned your bridges? Have you burned your yoke? Have you said, yes, Lord Jesus, a disciple I will be. I want to learn from you, follow you, prepare to serve you. Receive a new life and angel. Let's bow our heads just quietly. As God is speaking to you this morning. Have you, have you, have you made the initial contract? Where, when the Lord Jesus would come to you and put his robe across your shoulder and invite you to follow him. If you haven't said yes before, and it's on your heart to say, yes, Jesus, I want to be your disciple. I want you to make me clean. I want you to come into my heart and turn me around and enable me to be yours and to follow you and love you. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Be my master. Do it this morning. I yield to you. Give you my life. But I, I have a sense in which this word is more for, for the majority of us than the few who are yet to take that step. Thank God if you took it this morning. The, the, the issue is God speaking to us about mediocrity and a life that's cluttered up with oxen. And we've said, yes, I'll follow you, Lord, but we, we find it so difficult to leave the oxen. Put him first. So I ask you this morning, do you want the prophet's mantle? If you've been standing with Elijah when he said, what do you want? What would you have said? Is it on your heart this morning to say, I want a double portion of your spirit. I want to be a successor of those that have had the anointing of the spirit.
Let's stand together. Stand where you are. We've become so introspective, Lord, and some of us have stopped asking because we didn't, our feelings told us that nothing had happened or we got impatient or distracted with other things. We thank you, the Lord Jesus, that you are the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit and with fire. We thank you that you, Lord Jesus, will plunge us into the Spirit of God. That you're the one who pours your Spirit upon us. And as, your, as believers, Lord, this morning, we stand before you. And in answer to your question, we say, Lord, we want a double portion of your Spirit. We want to be successors of those that have lived and walked and ministered under the Spirit of God's anointing. So help us. Come to us. For Jesus' sake.